wouldn't it be great if you could future proof your business? If you could predict how many leads you're going to get in 2023 or any year after that, how much money would be spent on staff, expenses, rent, taxes? How much easier would it be to run your school with that kind of clarity? Now, at first blush, it might seem that such a level of control would be impossible to achieve. It almost seems like a pipe dream. And yet, we're here on this episode today to talk about an action you can take in your business that will give you that kind of control. And today, we're going to thoroughly explore that action, that process, give you the steps, and equip you with a tool that you can use in your business and hopefully use it in the upcoming weeks because right now is the perfect time to use this tool. And we're going to tell you what that is and get started right after this. Are you a music school owner looking to scale your program from just a handful of teachers to a highly profitable, well-organized, and mission-driven company? Well, I'm Nate Shaw, co-founder of the Brooklyn Music Factory. And I'm Daniel Patterson, founder of Grow Your Music Studio. And we're here to help you discover a proven pathway to sustainable growth in your music school. So get ready to take your passion for music education and scale it to a seven-figure music school. All right. Welcome back to the Seven Figure Music School podcast. Today, Nate and I are talking about forecasting in your music school. This is a good topic to talk about right before the end of the year and a good way to end the second season of this podcast, which this is the last episode of the second season. We're going on break for just a few weeks. Um, So this will give you time to catch up on old episodes that you might have missed. Uh, But let's jump into it. Uh, Nate, I have a simple question for you just to start off. It's kind of big, kind of broad, but what Mm. is forecasting? Okay. Forecasting in its most simple definition is saying, taking what you know and applying that to the future to come up with a predictive model. That's it. So, you know, you've gotten this amount of income in 2022, for example, and you're going to say, I'm going to grow that by 10% in 2023 because I can show historically that my income, with if I make certain efforts, grows by five to 10% every year. So that's it. Okay. That's all forecasting is projecting uh, based on a predictive model. Okay. So we're predicting the future. (laughs) Um, We're predicting uh, the future. Right. Okay. Within reason. (laughs) Within reason. Well, let's talk about the reasonableness of this. Mm -hmm. Um, Why do this? Why? Why, now, let me even just say this. I've known you for uh, you know a couple of years now, Nate, and I know this is something you do each year in depth. I know because you mentioned it that you're really going through this process right now, so you're deep in in this forecasting mode for 2023. Like, what what's the point? Isn't the point of business just to you know bring in more money than you spend on expenses? Like, why do something? Um, why create another chore for yourself? Okay, so first of all, um, I love this part of the craft of business. I love looking, as you know, I love looking at the numbers. I love looking at the historic information. I love trying to find the stories in it, and then I love trying to do a reasonable. Um, uh, job at predicting where BMF will be next year and three years from now, et cetera. Um, but there are actually kind of three reasons why I think forecasting is essential. It's also essential, as you said, to do at a certain time in the year. We do it either in October or November. We're doing it in October this year, right? So 
because number one, it goes hand in hand with your annual planning. You and I have done an episode on annual planning. We've done some planning, uh, an episode just on our own personal planning. I think we'll likely do another episode on annual planning, I'm sure, in the future as we refine our methods, etc. But basically, when you're creating an annual plan, you're saying, hey, given the resources I predict we will have, we're going to focus on these one, two, or three projects in the next year. So how are you supposed to know what resources you're going to have that you can allocate to future projects if you haven't actually even created a forecast of those resources? Right? Are you just going to wait and see? That's not really a great way to, to map out your future. Um, you need to make okay. an assumption or two. So number one, link it to your annual planning. Um, number two, I believe in my you know experience in this in the world of business that basically what I'm doing is cre- creating something that's sustainable and each year a little bit more predictable. Okay. So I have a I'm going to share a quote around that from from Leah, who's our current um, bookkeeper, but so much more called bookkeeper on steroids. She's also like a part-time CFO. She and I are doing what we call the budget summit. So it's like a two-week time where we're meeting for a few hours each week or a couple times a week and just getting to the point of forecasting our budget. And she said to me, she said, Nate, each year as you work on forecasting, you get a little bit better at it. And so each year you get a little bit more accurate. And then I said, well, how accurate should I be now having done it for whatever, six, seven, eight, nine years at BMF. She's like, considering how detailed you are and how long you've been doing it, it's, you should get it accurate within five to 10%. I was like, love it. So I can just be within that range. So that's what I mean about predictability. We don't mean we're like nailing it. Like I say, we're going to make 1.5 million in 2023 and we make 1.5. It's not that. It's just within a range. Okay. Right? And then the third and final reason why I think it's so, so valuable, and it gets back to kind of what I said around annual planning, is that you and I talk all the time about our limited resources. Like, I have time, I have money, and I have my sort of intellect and creativity that I'm going to invest into Brooklyn Music Factory. And forecasting is essentially um, getting trying to help me get more clear on what those resources actually are, especially when I'm working on, for example, the budget, resource number two, right? I'm just looking for clarity on that resource. I don't have an infinite, back to your question, you don't just grow and grow and grow and grow. If, if that's all that ever happens, you eventually, it sort of feels chaotic. Mm. You don't know why you're growing. You don't know what to do with that resource. You don't know how much it costs you to to grow at that pace, et cetera. So forecasting helps you understand what resource you're going to have, especially in this case, we're going to talk mostly about money today. But um, yeah, how much money am I going to have to work with to do the things that I love to do and deliver on my promise at BMF uh, next year? So there it is. I I have a comment and then I have a question. Let me start with a comment. we, We are talking most about money, However, there are, I just want to put this out there. You can forecast around your marketing. You can forecast around many different, if it can be measured in your school, you can forecast around it. You can do this process. And we are going to talk about what that process is later in this episode. But I just want to put that comment out there yep. just as an informational piece. The second thing is, again, um, 
for the skeptical or for those who perhaps are confused or this feels hazy to them, I, I just want to ask a really pointed question. Like, we don't know which students next year are going to th- – their parents are going to decide, you know what? I think that's it for us. So how mm-hmm. how can you do forecasting? How can you do predictability when there are so many variables outside of your control – um, I don't know if anyone noticed this, but a couple of years ago, the entire world shut down for like three, four months. Um, uh, and, and that's an extreme example, but even down to, um, you know, some of the fallout of, you know, the uh, pandemic was we have supply chain issues now um, in, in, you know, a publishing aspect of our business. Um, we've actually had trouble getting paper so we could publish books. Um, uh, there, there are things that are outside of our control. And again, you know, I name checked like parents deciding maybe that's it for us, or maybe, uh, you know, for BMF, maybe another summer camp an upstart summer camp does really, really well. And all of a sudden you find a lot more competition for your summer camp. So mm-hmm. it almost feels like it could be a futile or, um, uh, or, or, or yeah, a futile task to do this when so much is out of our control and we're like trying to plan 12 months ahead. So can you at least address that part of it? Because I know yeah, you've yeah. been doing this for nearly a decade. You've thought about this before. Yeah. So it's a great question. And, and honestly, I think it's more of a mindset issue, right? Of oh. course, there are things that are outside of our control. There always have been. There always will be. Um, and that's the reality of the game. Right. However, let's take my physical well-being, my health. I'm going to go with what I know. What I know is if I show up to my spinning class on Tuesday and Thursday mornings, and then I show up to the park on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to meet my friend Barr and run the stairs, that likely I'm still going to be able to show up here and feel energized to record this podcast. So I'm I'm basing my predictions next year on what I know to be true today, mm. right? Rather than focusing on that one time where my back went out six years ago and I felt like it was outside of my control or my friend, for example, moved out of town for a year and a half. So I was like, well, wait a minute, who am I supposed to meet at the park, right? So I'm working with my predictive model. Like in other words, what do I already know? Because every forecast has some assumptions, Daniel. Right. Mm-hmm. Every day we're making some assumptions, yet we're still going to get a curveball here and there, of course. So we're yes. working with some basic assumptions and saying, I'm going to start there. Now, let me just add one thing here. In the case of my friend Barr and I, we're aspiring to go run the world's longest stair race, which sounds insane because I've never run a stair race. <laughs> but it's in Switzerland and it's 11,000 stairs long. And we may not get there. But we want to get there sometime in the next three years. So basically, Bar and I say like, okay, what have we done to date that's allowed us to run? We run like 3,000 stairs or something like that. Um, we can survive that many stairs, but that's nowhere close to 11,000. So we're just like, okay, well, we can make it to 3,000. This Saturday, let's show up and see if we can do 4,000 or wow. 3,500. And that's it. It's like it's not like it's rock. I mean, it's sort of we all are making forecasts for our own personal lives all the time. We're just going to now try to apply this to something that it's a separate entity, which is the business. Yeah. What do you got? Well, what I'm hearing you saying is that even the way I framed the question 
was negative. Like in other words, mm. I framed it as, oh, there's so much out of our control, but how much of human nature doesn't change? How, how much stays yeah. constant? How much stays consistent from year to year? Let's not focus, as you said, on the one time your back went out. Let's not focus on the once in a century pandemic. Let's not focus on, oh, what if, what if there's more competition? These are just distractions from mm-hmm. from the the task of of looking at the uh, looking at the things that have stayed remarkably consistent over a decade period or twelve year period of you running this business or for me you know fifteen years of uh, running a group lesson program or or things of that nature so if we're yes. if we're if we focus on the things that change we're actually pro- focusing on probably the minority of what's true whereas the majority is there's a lot of stuff that doesn't change from year to year and that's why yes. forecasting is valuable yeah and your parent example is a really good one. Of course you lose students in your school Mm. because every school in the world does. But there's probably a trend to find in there. Yes, exactly. The question is what percentage of your students are you losing? And like you said, is there a story historically in that trend? And if you don't, and we're going to get to this in a moment, but if Mm. you don't know, if you've never looked for a trend, if you don't know the story, well then hallelujah. The first time you ever attempt forecasting, guess what? One of the projects is trying to figure out how many of my students actually leave every month? What percentage of my total enrollment is that? And is that something that I actually want to try to improve? Is that going to become one of my few projects in in the next year? Interesting. Um, Dig it. Okay. Okay. So is this this forecasting process something you do all the time? Is it something you do periodically throughout the year? Is it something you do once a year? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, this is a really, really good question, dude, because I feel like I basically got it wrong for many years, mm. which was I would create a forecast and then I would revisit it every quarter. Basically, there's certain elements as you get more and more comfortable with your looking at your projections sort of weekly or monthly or quarterly, you're going to start visiting the numbers and seeing whether or not you're accurate, right? We call that a budget versus actual. And what I used to do is I'd go back and it would be like March. So the end of the first quarter of the year, and I'd be like, oh, wait, we're off on this expense. Let me adjust that for the rest of the year. And what's interesting is that um, in recently, basically, as I've started to try to refine this process, I've been told like, wait, no, Nate, you can have a cash flow forecast, which helps you understand how you need to adjust expenses, et cetera. But don't mess with your for- your projections because otherwise, how are you supposed to learn how to refine that the next year? So um, a perfect example right now is we, and we just, we did a recent episode on this, but our cost of labor is actually going down and the percentage of our total gross is going down now this year. And I'm like, huh? Does that mean we should change? Should I readjust for the remainder of the year? No, no, no. What's fascinating is there's a story there. And so Leah and I are going to look at that over the next six weeks to see, is there some sort of trend um, that we can then apply to a future forecast? But I'm not going to change it right now. I'm not going to say this fall, I'm going to, reall- I'm going to actually allocate a lot less to the cost of labor line. Mm. I'm just going to let it ride and then learn from it. Okay. And I think there's um I think there's an opportunity here to have kind of a coaching moment mm. uh, with listeners. I I work one-on-one with with a lot of school owners um and I've been working with a lot more this year than I have the past couple of years. I've kind of reopened that part of what I do. It's something I really enjoy doing. And a trend that I see is 
school owners wearing their CEO hat all the time. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about. Um, uh, but actually let me, let me even be more specific than that because you are the CEO all the time. I mean the visionary part of your job. So the, the way that I work on this with people is to say that you can't wear that vision hat all the time. You can't be constantly questioning the 50,000 foot view or the 50,000 foot plan that you have for your school on a constant basis every day, it will undermine your confidence in the actions that you need to do. And what you need to do rather is choose specific moments in time, an appropriate amount of time at specific moments, amount of time to go up to that 50,000 foot level and ask yourself, are we on, are we on track here? Because if you're doing it at every moment, if you're in the middle of like rolling out a marketing campaign for fall of next year, and you've got nine months to prep for that. And at every moment you're questioning, is this what we really should be doing? Is this the way we should be doing it? You are going to drive yourself nuts. You can't do this. (laughs) And so for me, the, um, the way that I handle this, that I think is a little bit similar to what you're talking about there is that I do make an annual plan. I make a quarterly plan. And then as I sit down once a week, I sit down and allow my mind to open itself to that view. It's on Sunday night. Mm-hmm. We talked about mm-hmm. this. Yeah. Uh, I think in January of this year, we talked a little bit about how we do our personal planning. Um, but I think this is a good time to remind folks because even clients I've worked with for a while, they, they have, they find it a challenge to get this rhythm into their life, but I will sit down and allow myself to think about that big picture view and then evaluate how it's going and decide what my specific actions need to be for the coming week. And then for the rest of the week, I am an employee. I'm yeah. Daniel, the employee of Daniel, the CEO on Sunday night, the employee. I mean, I guess you can question your CEO, but in general, if you want to keep your job, you, you really need to kind of go along with the plan and not go rogue, so to speak. Yeah. Um, I don't go rogue in the week on the plan. Okay, so Nate, what do you do to prepare for this forecasting time? This has to be really fresh in your mind since you are going through it right now. So give us the big old (laughs) scoop there. Okay, so um, in prep, I mean, I want to say that you made a comment about marketing forecasting. Um, I want to say that there's basically a few areas of knowledge that you want to try to organize. You want to try to find historical information wherever you have it. Um, The one most obvious area is you need to find what you've made and what you've spent. So for us, that's a QuickBooks online login, and I take a look at that information. So that's let's assume you have some version of organized dollars. That's step number one. Step number two is you're looking for the areas that are influencing those dollars. So for example, marketing and sales, back to your, how many leads are you generating, et cetera, you're investing money there. So you are probably going to therefore start looking at like, huh, like I do. I look at where have we spent money? How much have we spent on Google ads? How much have we spent on these areas that are driving these leads? Um, Another area, for example, is I just mentioned cost of labor. You're going to be looking... I look at our payroll calculator. I look at how much we've actually invested in teachers over the last year, um, et cetera. Another really important space that you're going to look at. So 
you're you're doing essentially a data deep dive where you're trying to find enough pieces of information that influence one another that you can begin to forecast the future. Another area, and you touched on this, which is so obvious, but it needs to be stated, is what's your actual enrollment number today? Where were you a year ago? Can you find trends in enrollment? And then can you also find trends in cancellation? Because of course, the number of enrollments with the average cost per enrollment is what's going to influence the top of that forecast, which is your income. Now, if you're a school like BMF and you might offer multiple services like a mini keys, jam band 101 group class program, plus private lessons, plus a camp, you might do be a little bit more detailed in that income. In other words, how many camp enrollments did you have last year? How about the year before? How about the year before that? Can you forecast that you'll do the same? But to start, just look for like the basics. How many enrollments do you have? What's the average spend per enrollment? Um, and what's your cancellation uh, numbers look like? Uh, those are great places to start because that's infecting top of the line income. And then you're looking for just a, one or two areas that are affecting bottom of the line expenses. Okay. Um, a few thoughts there. First off, mm-hmm. as a version 1.0, that seems pretty simple. Like that's not a lot of data to gather, really. It's not like we're going to need to get a degree in finance to to do that. So we nope. just need to go and find the historical numbers there. Second, um, I do want to acknowledge, however, that I talk to school owners every week. Um, I had yeah. six. I talked to six school owners this past Friday. Um, some who found us through our marketing, some who were previous, you know, friends of grow or previous clients. Um, some who, because of our cold outreach, had never heard of us before and literally just decided to get on a call with me because of some outreach we did to their school. Um, all, all six of those people, except for former clients, when I would ask for even basic information about their school, including schools that, um, maybe had hundreds of students, um, a lot of times they couldn't, they couldn't give me that information. They didn't have it. Not only did they not have it on hand, they just didn't have it at all. So here's why I bring this up. This is something that Nate and I do with school owners. Um, We help school owners build dashboards. We help school owners know what to um, analyze. We help them analyze it. We are kind of like a second set of eyes. That's something that would be really interesting to you. You should definitely reach out. Um, If you got this podcast through an email, um, uh, just reply to that email, or if you're finding this just on iTunes or Spotify or Anchor or, or one of those uh, places, Downcast, um, uh, you know, navigate over to GregorMusicStudio.com and literally just go fill out our contact form. Um, mm-hmm. Happy to talk to you about that and uh, maybe explore explore how uh, you can get a little more systematic, a little more scientific, a little more calm, less chaotic in your school in uh, the up, upcoming year and years following that. Um, so, so Nate. Any other thoughts around this idea of, of how you prep for that or should we move on? Well, let me highlight that comment you made around people struggle finding the data. In truth, the first time you do this, mm-hmm. it's going to be messy. Mm. You're, you're going to take more time than you'd like to find the data. You're going to have to take a lot of to-do list notes. Oh, wait, I found the number of leads, kind of, but I need to keep digging. Or wait, mm-hmm. I opened up my QuickBooks and I, I, or my bookkeeper generated a report, but in truth, I can't really read it that trust well. It. Yeah, I don't really know, trust it sometimes. Or trust yeah. it. Yeah, I don't really believe that these are all categorized correctly. I don't believe the dollars. Um, 
Or I went in, I opened up Google Ads to see how much I spent, but I don't even know how to read that. So therefore, I don't trust that number, right? Yeah. The point is, is that you will continue to not trust the numbers if you don't actually start trying, right? So understand that Forecast 1.0 for your program is going to be primarily a data dive and trying to find the story in historical numbers that you begin to trust. And you're going to do a 1.0 of this. But Mm. every year after this, it's going to get a little bit easier and you're going to start realizing, oh, I only need to look at this number, this number, this number, and that number to be able to get within that 5 and 10%. Right. Or you're going to begin to see the story where you're going to say, wait a minute, I wanted to grow from 150 students to 300 students. And I thought all I needed to do was increase the teacher line. No, no, no. Of course, when you're going to go from 150 to 300, it means you're going to you're going to increase the administrative expense line as well. Plus operations are going to you're going to have to spend more on teaching supplies and other things. So you're going to learn through um, your successes and failures, but you'll only do that if you take the opportunity to begin forecasting now. Launch some version of it so that you can begin to study your assumptions in the future. So i just say that understand it can be messy and it should be messy in round one. Okay. You know, even, even when you reach out for even, you know, we're helping, like you said, we're helping a number of people work through this right now. Um, literally in our mastermind, we have a we have two um, months worth of annual planning training that we do, and mm-hmm. it's totally. Of course, it's going to be messy for them if they've never done it before, mm-hmm. even with assistance. But that's that's exactly how it should be. I don't know about you, but I didn't get an owner's manual when I started my music school. And I wasted a lot of time on trial and error and making things up as I went along. But you don't have to do that. Nate and I are building a library of resources and tools exclusively for fans of this podcast. Go to growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS and sign up to receive podcast updates, free resources, and even submit questions for us to answer on the podcast. That's growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS. And we look forward to answering your questions. Man, this has been a theme over the last 50 odd episodes of this podcast. <laughs> but the version 1.0, you can make very, very simple. But you never get to version 2 or 3 or 4 or 5 or those more helpful versions of it until you do that first one. I I literally did my PL statement wrong for two years before someone yeah, correct corrected me. Um, right. Unfortunately, it was a guy. <laughs> it, it was when I was in kind of an evaluation session for something. I'm not going to into it but with a guy worth a billion dollars. Like he was like, you know, you're doing your PL wrong. How embarrassing, um, <laughs> you know. <Right. laughs> um, but I was, you know, I probably didn't need someone with that kind of clout to, to point that out to me. Thanks, universe. But um, but it was helpful, and I I um, I uh, made the necessary adjustments. And as I got more sophisticated year after year, more sophisticated with it, more knowledgeable about it, I added things to that analysis. I I I added things to it that allow me to have even more clarity, more stability, um, more confidence in it. And I would just say that really the first step, because I want to get into this with you right now, Nate, but um, before you even jump into what your process is, 
for doing your forecasting, I would just say even the first step that predates all this, Nate and I have been referencing for the last, you know, 25, 30 minutes, um, is that you need to know what to measure and you actually need to keep track of those numbers on on a regular basis. There needs to be a little bit of discipline to track the numbers that you think are important to your your basement, to your business. Um, And then... And then this almost becomes an inevitability because once you have that record, um, you just look at it and you 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 actually even begin to notice trends, and and uh, yes. and then you can then move to this next level, which is that forecasting piece. I think this is a good time then to turn to really that process, and we've often done this where we've given like you know five episodes back we talked about how to build systems in your school. And I really went through and gave a, you know, some step-by-step. Once again, I want to do that process with you here, Nate. And I think the best way to do that is let's get the bullet points first and then let's maybe elaborate on them afterward. That way people kind of have that. Okay, here's the five steps. And then they can, they can track along with us if we have color commentary to give the steps. And then I think to make this less abstract, less conceptual, I think it would actually be helpful, although we have been talking about some examples here and there around the finance piece or that sort of thing, um, maybe even to strategically go into the weeds in one thing um, at BMF. Maybe I can give a strategic example as well uh, um, mm. from the marketing side of things as to how I've used forecasting um, on the marketing side of things. But yeah, let's give those steps first and then maybe let's give some examples and we'll end the episode. Okay, sweet. Love it. Um, so I'm just going to give you my five steps. Right here. And this is for a financial forecast. Step number one is just copy your budget from the previous year if you have it. So let's say it's right now it's, you know, late October 2022. I'm working on my 2023 um, forecast. I'm just going to literally copy whatever I had from 2022 over and call it 2023. And if you don't have a budget, then just literally copy your expenses, like your 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 income statement. Just copy what you made and uh, what you spent over to 2023. By the way, you want to go month by month. You want to do month a monthly report. So in QuickBooks, you can do that. You can look at the months. Step one is that. Just copy it. Step two is go ahead and just choose a number for yourself. But here's a safe one. Increase everything by 5%. Just Including be like... Revenue? Yeah, revenue is going to grow by 5%. But in order to grow that, expenses are going to grow by 5%. Now, of course, you're going to have to get in there. And that gets into step number three, which is you're going to review your assumptions. Um, You're going to say, okay, if I grow income by 5%, do I really have to grow rent by 5%? Of course, you don't grow rent by 5%. Rent actually just grows by whatever your lease says it's going to grow by. So you're going to adjust certain assumptions. Let me give you a a few... like. let me give you five areas right off the bat just to review on assumptions. And then let's pick one of them when we go into detail here. So here's five under the review assumptions. Review your enrollment assumption. In other words, does your how many people are you going to need to enroll to have a 5% increase in uh, income? Review your rent assumption. Is rent going up or is it staying the same? Or are you moving spaces? Whatever. And look at your rent line. Review your teacher payroll versus your admin payroll. How much are you going to invest in teachers? How much are you going to invest in admin? Uh, Review your marketing and sales expenses. Those usually always come under the same bucket. So Google ads plus, um, you know, uh, any software you use, like we use 
keep uh, Infusionsoft by Keep. Any sort of expenses you use, lead pages we use to build our websites, you know, those are all under marketing and sales expenses. And then review, look for any new costs that you hadn't anticipated. For example, um, let's say you plan on expanding the space. We're working with a couple of school owners right now that are adding studios. So that's going to be a new cost line that they weren't that that they hadn't put in by copying over. So uh, another perfect example of a new cost you might not have anticipated where let's say you wanted to license a new program because you were going to grow, for example, you know, group piano classes. So you wanted to bring on licensing of that. Well, now you need to make sure that that licensing is in that budget. Okay. Step after you've reviewed some of those assumptions, um, you're going to actually review your budget versus actual from the previous year. That's assuming that you had a budget from the previous year. So you're going to go back and you're going to say, okay, let me now look at every line item from the previous year. I said we were going to make $50,000 in our private lesson program in the month of September, but I actually made $62,000. Huh. What happened there? So you're going to review your budget versus actual. Remember, being over or being under, both in income and expenses, those all have stories, right? Um, so you're deciphering that. And then finally, this is a key step, is you're going to, having done all that, you're then going to invite in at least one or two key team members to review your work. This is essential. We talk about, um, we talk about how important it is to um, delegate some of your financial work like to a trusted bookkeeper. Well, I'm 100% doing this work, Daniel, with our bookkeeper right now. I'm also going to bring all these assumptions to you know, Jessica, my partner, Pira, to Ben, the, the private lesson director, I'm going to bring in at least three other key team members and show them my work and, and just say, hey, guys, what assumptions am I making that don't jive with you? Or what have I missed? What questions do you have? So that's the final step. Nate, really clear, very step-by-step. What we said prior to that was, let's explore that a little more in depth. And maybe the helpful way to do that would be to look at a specific example. So maybe you have some comments or an example around that that can really help people wrap their minds around this. Because we've already established why this is important. We want to craft a sustainable business. This is one of the ways to do that. Tracking these numbers, looking at these numbers, and then projecting forward um, all things staying equal, this is what we could expect to happen over the next year. Give us an example of that or whatever else you think would be useful for folks at this time. Okay, so I'm going to give a very specific example around enrollment forecasting that I'm doing right now at our school. Okay, and then I want to give a couple micro steps on how you can start forecasting yourself around enrollment in the future. And let me preface it by just sharing a quick story. I was in a mastermind um, for years with a woman who ran a, uh, an accounting firm. That was her business. So she was one of my mastermind partners. And so years ago, when I was realizing how valuable forecasting was, I was at a conference with her in Arizona. And I was like, please, can we just sit down for like half an hour? And can I pick your brain around forecasting? And the reason I sat down with her is because I just kept thinking, well, there must be more to this process. I must be missing some key steps. And she was like, Nate, the first thing to do is just copy your budget over from last year, add 5%, and then begin to discern your assumptions. Go line by line. And I was like, really? She's like, yeah, that's what we do. Just copy that sucker over and go. 
And I kept thinking, no, surely there must be, I must have to start over every year. Like <laughs> with, scratch. you know, <laughs> yeah, from scratch. So I just want to share that because like, I'm sure there are listeners who are like, wait, what? I'm supposed to just copy that and just start going line by line? Yes. Okay. So let's talk about enrollment. So I am literally looking at a sheet right now, which is called BMF Forecasting Enrollment. It is a, it is a sheet that I have updated for years. I just create a new tab and call it a new year. And, and what I'm doing is I'm saying on certain dates, here's what you can do. In one column on the left, you can just have your busy enrollment dates, September 1st, October 1st, November 1st. That's what I, I, those are basically my three benchmark enrollment dates. And I say, how many private lesson enrollments will we have? Notice I'm not saying students, I'm saying enrollments because everybody listening here knows that you could have one student that takes both voice lesson and a piano lesson in the week. So you're just counting enrollments, right? Not counting heads, counting enrollments. Next thing you're going to do is you're going to say, okay, September 1st, it's right now it's October. Say September 1st of next year, given how many in private lesson enrollments I have today, how many do I think I'll have next September? So let's say you have 150 private lesson students right now and you aspire to grow in a gradual and sustainable way. Well, it would be totally unreasonable to write down 250 next September if, you, if it's taking you, say, five years to grow to 150. But you could say 175 next September or 200. And so you're creating a... You're saying next September 1st, I plan on having... 175 private lesson enrollments. Then on October, we all know that every school grows through September. So in October, you're going to add, say, another, given your size of school, maybe it's another 10 or 20 or 30 private lesson enrollments by October 1st. And then everybody knows that it sort of starts to level out. So by November, plus you're going to have cancellations, people enroll and then they cancel. Where are you going to be by November 1st? That's your last milestone enrollment in the fall. Right. So then you can say, okay, by November 1st, I'm going to be at 200 private lesson enrollments. Okay. The last thing you're going to add to this predictive model is you're going to say, okay, what's your average cost, uh, average spend or income per enrollment? And all you have to do is right now say, how much did you make in private lessons this month of October and how many enrollments do you have? And divide that. That's it. It's all you got to do. You don't have to worry about all the nitty gritty like, well, wait, I have a 30 minute lesson versus a 45. Forget all that. Just make an average cost, uh, average income per enrollment. So if you have 150 enrollments, I'm going to read you literally the BMF one right now. So I'm looking at a historical one. It said 175 private lesson enrollments. Um, and right now um, we're averaging 297 per enrollment per month. That's the BMF. Literally. Mm. And so what does that create? That creates an income of per month. This is again a historical $51,975 per month comes from private lessons. So mm. in that month of September, I just cut and paste that number in there. And that's my predictive forecast. And everybody knows how to use a spreadsheet, at least well enough to be able to design what I just described. So I'm projecting my enrollment. And at BMF, we don't even discern between, um, you know, our mini keys versus our jam band versus our rock, write, and record versus our club keyboard. We just say the average group class revenue per enrollment is X. The average private lesson revenue per enrollment is Y. And then those get forecast out. 
And then I just cut and paste those into my income line for private lessons and my income line for group classes throughout the next year. And it's it's really that straightforward. If you guys want that model I just described, just write Daniel and me and I'm, I, I'm happy to make a little quick template for you. Here's my question. I think this yeah. is the critical linkage. Mm-hmm. You have the copy-paste action. That's pretty easy. How does doing that math, putting it into a cell of a spreadsheet, how does that then help BMF actually create that reality a year out from now in September of next year? That's, I think, the piece that most people get confused over. And if I'm being honest, that I still myself, not not as advanced as you are in this area, that's still where I have a few questions myself. Love it. It's a great question. It gets back to... um, Actually, I'm going to pull up... While we're talking, I'm going to just pull up my forecast for 2023 right now so that we can just... I can use concrete examples. Um, But the most important one goes back to my initial answer as to you you said, why should anyone forecast, period? Mm -hmm. So let's take the school owner who heard that and was like, I'm at 150 private lesson enrollments and I sure would like to be at 200 next September. Hmm. Okay, so she's listening and she's aspiring to that. Well, that's only going to happen if you put intentionality around that growth. And by intentionality, I mean that you're going to be very specific that one of your priorities in 2023 or looking ahead to the next year is that we're going to grow private lesson enrollment by, say, 30%, which is a massive growth, right? So you're going to say, I'm intentional about that, which means... I expect to see this growth in income. That's what I was just talking about. And therefore, I also expect to invest below the line in certain er expenses to try to get me there. Where would I invest that to grow by 30%? Well, the obvious places are marketing, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to need to drive more leads and you're going to need to... And then the next obvious place is you're going to need to uh, bolster your sales department. Maybe you're the one who's handling all sales And you're going to need to bring someone on five or 10 hours a week, which is going to cost you something because you're going to have more leads. You can't handle them all yourself, both teaching and doing sales. So by creating this forecast, you're saying, I'm putting intention around this project. I'm not going to get distracted because I heard Nate and Daniel talk about in another podcast about some really fun thing that you could add to your school or what it's like to open up a brand new location with 12 studios I'm just going to focus on this priority, which is growing from 150 private lesson students to 200. Mm. And I'm going to allocate the resources now to it every quarter for the next year. And then I'm going to assess every quarter how I'm moving towards that goal, whether I've invested enough in the expenses and whether that income is also um, being reflected in that expense investment. Does that, that jive? It does jive. And I think the way that I would describe that is that in a predictive model, you're predicting how much that other investment's going to cost you. And so yeah. what the forecast looks like is what a, a past year's PL might have looked like, but it's your best guess for what the PL might be next year in advance in knowing like, oh, I'm going to need two more teachers. They're going to cost me this much money. I'm going to invest this much more in Google ads. And this is where I might have something to add to it. Cause I said, I would give an example too. Maybe this is the place to do it. Yeah. Um, because the example that I would give is that 
we obsessively track market marketing metrics, marketing data. And I think I've mentioned this in passing in previous episodes, so I won't go into super great detail here. But we noticed something in our marketing a couple of years ago. We noticed something in our sales. And we looked at our sales figures, we looked at our marketing figures, and we got into the weeds as into even like, how many emails did we send out per month? What were the open rates mm-hmm. of those emails? Mm-hmm. How many visits did we have to the website? Like, what was the growth rate in our, in our email list? Like, all these sorts of things. And we took all this disparate information, and we were able to kind of figure out where our marketing challenge was as a result of all that, which then impacted the decisions I made for the next year around marketing. And I actually changed some of the ways that we were doing marketing it for grow as a result of this, or to take it to a school. Um, the, the, the marketing system that I recommend that schools run, we actually have a dashboard that we just give to people who run that marketing system. And we tell them, here's the data you need to track. And if I ever have someone who has a marketing challenge who is using that, I can literally get in there and pretty much figure out what their problem is within like five minutes. Um, Mm -hmm. But what that also means is that because I know that marketing system so well, for this fictional example you give of someone wanting to increase from 150 to 200 people, I could look at the system and say, you're going to need at the top of the funnel this many, literally down to like within you know, a 5% margin of error, you're going to need this many people at the top of the funnel. And if you do, you will inevitably get to that 200. Well, what that means is we then have to decide, well, what, what are we going to put at the top of the funnel? And if we know how many people we need, and we know, let's say, for instance, how much it costs to get a thousand impressions on Facebook, we can actually begin to predict the uh, down to pretty close how much money we might need to spend on Facebook or Google ads or YouTube ads over the next year so that we can actually know like the dollar amount it will actually cost us to get there. What could you then do with that information? Well, you could walk into your local bank and say, hey, we need a business line of credit because you're thinking since our funnel is pretty consistent because we've been tracking this and we see that it stays pretty consistent from year to year, we actually predict it's probably going to cost us $14,000 in marketing to hit that objective yes. over the next year. So you go and apply for business loan, business line of credit for 20 grand, knowing that you won't even really need to draw even up to that much. And it's a strategic investment versus, hey, let's run some Facebook ads this year. Oh, Daniel said Google ads is great. Daniel's saying, don't do this yes. method, do that method. Let's just, let's just go out there and do some Google ads, right? Let's go out there and yes. do some YouTube ads. No, you can be far more Um, you can be far more strategic about this. And really what I'm doing here is kind of putting everything Nate's been saying, plus the marketing side of it, and even showing you how those two things interrelate down to the loan officer, knowing exactly how much money you're going to need to spend on marketing over the next year. (laughs) Yeah, we were. And what's interesting is we were, um, we have someone in our mastermind right now who's, who's going through this exact story. And she and I were talking through that meeting with the banker and it was exactly mm-hmm. what you're talking about. Like that banker works in numbers. They need to hear the story and the numbers and they need to know why you're making certain assumptions and choices. I want to add one thing to you, what you said around your story about how Grow pivoted some of their marketing um, for, for Grow's benefit. We talk about the resource of time. When you create a forecast where you say, I intend to grow my private lesson student body from 150 to 200, not only do you need to figure out where to allocate those dollars, as Daniel put so well, ah, let's, let's put them into Google Ads because we feel like we trust that number. If we increase it, we'll get enough impressions, et cetera. Or you put Facebook impressions there. 
But we're also saying we're going to allocate time to this project. Mm. Right? It's not going to just magically happen that you're going to increase dollars and that's all you have to do. It didn't just magically happen that Daniel's like, what we're going to do is pivot some of our strategy. No, they had to actually spend time designing that new content for their marketing, et cetera. So, so when you create this forecast, if you do it, um, if you do your draft well enough, you're going to find one, two, or three places that are going to be obvious projects and priorities for you in the upcoming year. Mm -hmm. Let me say that again. You're forecasting leads to the critical thinking that's necessary to know where to allocate your limited resources. That's the one of the main benefits of this is I'm going to give a real BMF example. We're opening a brand new location very soon and it's, you know, it's obviously super exciting for us, but one line item on our budget for the next, you know, starting next year when our lease abatement is over is that rent mm-hmm. is all of a sudden going to go up significantly. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking, I'm adding rent into the forecast and I'm saying, aha, we've invested. One of our long-term strategies was to open a gorgeous new space in the Gowanus of Brooklyn that's going to be our flagship location, right? Okay, well, that was a huge strategic move that I think was wise to make, clearly, because we're doing it. But I have to know what the implications are long-term on our budget. And so when I look at that increase in the rent line, I'm saying, aha, to justify this expense, clearly we're going to need to see increased enrollment And where do I want to see increased enrollment? Well, in the case of BMF, we're going to focus our increased enrollment specifically on our ages four to eight group class program. And we've literally built studios in the new location that are amazing just for mini keys and jam band. So that's an example of a concrete. So guess what one of my priorities is in 2023 or next year based on our forecast? I am focusing my CEO hat. I am focusing my marketing director hat on ages four to eight. Mm. I'm not getting distracted because 20 parents called about wanting teen bands. Mm. That's not my strategic priority. Yes, we have an awesome teen band program, but it's going to stay right where it is next year. It's not my priority. It's not my focus. This forecasting helps me stay focused. And believe me, I mean, Daniel, you know me well, like, I am one who can be easily distracted. <laughs> I have ADHD and I know what it is to be like zing, zang, right? So this forecasting piece is really important to me because it just reminds me of where I allocated resources um, as a founder and then who those resources are going to. Mm. I feel like we're wrapping up here. I have just a few thoughts and then maybe I'll kick it over to you for some final ones, Nate. But one, um, if you take away... If there's just a few takeaways from this episode that you take away, mm. one, start tracking your data now. And we've given you yes. plenty of categories, even just start tracking one. You know, you can take it to, if you're, if, if, if it's something, if there's something in your school that is a challenge or is on fire right now, just start tracking data around that particular thing. You will thank yourself in the future that you were that conscientious now. Um, mm-hmm. Two, the whole forecasting piece is just so that you can. Uh, react to past information and make assumptions about the future. Um, 
so that for the purpose of knowing what those one, two, or three projects are that you should be focusing on over the next year. That's the second mm-hmm. thing. Third, just a quote, because everyone knows I love a good quote. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and it goes a little something like this. Um, what's talked about is a dream. What's envisioned is exciting. What is planned becomes possible, but only what is scheduled becomes real. And it's a mm-hmm. quote I heard on Tim Ferriss's podcast in 2014, 2015. He was interviewing Peter Diamandis and Tony Robbins. Um, they were talking about their mm-hmm. uh, in-world hunger initiative that they were working on. And, um, and uh, boy, that has really stuck with me because as if, I, if I'm truly serious about something, it's got to go on the calendar. It's got to be written down somewhere. Um, and this forecasting piece is that critical linkage between taking what's been true historically in your business and connecting it to um, what needs to change or what could use improvement or what could use expansion, what would be fun, what would you know seriously get your business out of the doldrums. Mm-hmm. You can't know what to work on until you've done this 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 work. Otherwise, you're gonna be like, I hate to say it, but you're gonna you're gonna be easily, swayed by what you see on social, what you see on YouTube, what's getting talked about in in various forums. And even the best business owners can be distracted in those ways. Once you commit to two, three projects for a year based on this historical information, boy, it's going to make life a lot calmer and you'll actually see tangible progress forward. It would be great if we didn't have human limitation and we could just work on all things all at one time, but that just isn't the case. And if you want something to become real, if you want something to change, there needs to be data-backed decisions that are made to focus on those things. Hey, it's Nate again. You know, every year at Brooklyn Music Factory, we get dozens and dozens of great reviews from our families. And you want to know how? Because we ask them. And they're happy to leave a review because of the positive impact that we've made on them. And so now... I have a simple ask for you. If this podcast, the 7FMS podcast, was helpful to you, would you mind leaving a review for Daniel and I? And please, share the podcast with another music school owner that you think might benefit. It's one of the best ways that you can support us. We appreciate it.